What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail! Are you trying to be the, like, the let's get ready to rumble guy? Let's get ready to open some emails! (laughs) I can do better than that. That phrase has been copywritten. I know. Well, not and, to open uh, the emails. Pardon? Not the open the emails. Not the, part. not the emails part. But uh, safe. Let's get ready to rumble. Like I, I don't With know that tonality. That that guy like owns mm. the copyright to saying that phrase that way. Oh and in God. fact, they uh, there was a wrestling film with David Arquette. I remember called Ready to Rumble. I also remember that. And if you look closely at the poster, there's a trademark after the title, which what? you don't see in movies a lot. Wow, that's funny. Because who, it, he he owns owns the trademark to was, that phrase. Who was David Arquette's co-star in Ready to Rumble? It was oh, the other oh, it David was, Arquette. It was one of the lesser Baldwins, wasn't it? No, it was the, it was the lesser Khan. Oh, it was, Scott it, Khan. was it Scott Khan? Yeah. I thought it was like Stephen Baldwin or something. Yeah, yeah. people don't remember the, the brief moment where Scott Khan was almost going to be a thing. Mm. The, uh, people don't remember Ready to Rumble. That's Heck, people true. People don't really even really remember David Arquette much anymore. Oh, he's, he does wrestling. He's fine. The, he's, a, he's a wrestler now? Yeah, he did a documentary about it. Oh. Uh, yeah, he was really into it. Like, that was actually a real, like, I don't, I don't think it was a documentary or anything like right. that, but he was actually really into wrestling. Yeah, I think outside of the Scream films, and he did some TV, too, Dave Eric. He's, he? he's done a bunch. He's yeah, been very polite. Anyway, we, we're off track. Anyway, this is We've Got Mail. Mm. This, this, this is, is where you we control do. the conversation, we, we, even we, though we just hijacked <laughs> it for a minute. Uh, this is where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. You write into our show, and we read as many emails as we can, have a conversation about them, answer your questions, listen to your criticism, respond to your prompts, whatever. We're pretty much open books. Uh, the email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, however, we also have a P.O. box, and we do have a letter from the P.O. box today. Right. We got a, a little... yeah. There it is. If you send in the letter, letter, we we pretty much have to read it. Uh, (laughs) So the P.O. Box, Whitney, what's the P.O. Box? Uh, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep. And uh, again, we don't have time to read all our emails, unfortunately, because we get a lot of them. Thank you very, very much. Uh, So we don't like to waste a lot of time, except when we're talking about David Arquette. Uh, So (laughs) with that out of the way, let's jump into our first letter. I like David Arquette. I'm not disparaging David Arquette. David Arquette was great and ravenous. Yeah. Yeah. Was he the one who shouted, he was licking me? He was the guy they find. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, never mind. He was a different guy. Different guy. Uh, yeah, but here is an actual physical letter that we got in our uh, P.O. box. It Hi. says, Greeting Mr. Bibbs and Rockmeister Mc... C-I-O-S-T. Mc... Uh, I mean, there's got to be some, um, like, Gaelic pronunciation yeah. that I'm, I'm missing out on. A mm. uh, longtime listener and Patreon contributor. Hope this letter is worthy of making it onto the show, and it's, a, and it's about a best-of-the-decade list that you stated at the beginning of the year. Only this is a specific topic of films that I feel doesn't make your review podcasts, and it is sports documentaries. Yep. I'm fully aware you are not sports fans of any kind. I like the Olympics. I, um, I don't. Oh, I love the Olympics. I, uh, yeah. I've, I've started watching a little MMA, and I do find mm. it interesting. But no, I'm not. I don't really follow sports. Yeah, so that's fair. Hey, nothing against them. Not my bag. Mm. Uh, that doesn't mean you can't enjoy a good sports documentary. Fair. Wondering why a few didn't make the the review show like Pele, uh, Untold, Malice at the Palace, Never Give In, or Tiger. And it feels like a void in your discussion. Hmm. Anyway, I put a little summary. If you're interested, you can just read these titles to save time. It won't hurt my feelings. Oh, well, I'm going to read the description. Oh, read the description. Uh, number 10, Steve Bartman Catching Hell from 2011. A mob mentality theme based on a baseball team blowing their title hopes and fans turning the team's misfortune on... T- on a fellow fan who interfered in the match, costing the the Cubs a spot in the World Series. Oh, I heard about that. That oh, was the, a tragedy. Like a, yeah. there, it was the thing where like a, a fly ball was like really close to the stands, and a fan reached out and caught it. When if if memory serves, but like the player it could, could have, been, have caught yeah. it, and if the player had caught it, like the the Cubs yeah. would have won that game. Yeah, and I kind of remember that vaguely. Incident, yeah. Too. yeah. Um, number nine, the 24 hour, 2016, one of the great speed racing rivalries of the 1960s between Henry Ford and Enzo Ferrari. Um, I saw Ford versus Ferrari. Saw that? It's a fictionalized version, but yeah. yeah. Uh, number eight, Andre the Giant. I did see this one. Uh, from 2018, the story of the French pro wrestler turned pop culture phenomenon and star of The Princess Bride. 
Uh, it was an HBO documentary. Hmm, okay. So yeah, if you have HBO, I think it's still I, on there. I uh, grew up with Andre the Giant. It was very big when I was wee, and uh, well, he was always big, wasn't he? Uh, but well, uh, and in, indeed, that's what the entire documentary of it is is about. It's like his entire life was dictated by his size. Yeah, how difficult it was to travel, for instance, yeah. or uh, needing to stay out of the public eye, and or wanting to be in the public eye, and all of it was just about how big he was. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, number seven, Lindsay Vaughn, the final season, 2019, great female skier of the modern era, attempts to become the all-time World Cup winner. We're facing her biggest challenger, all athletes face, retirement. Uh, number six, The Two Escobars from 2010, the tale of how the Colombian dr- drug lord Pablo Escobar and a Colombian footballer Andres Escobar's paths would cross and somehow benefit each other until one was taken the summer of 1994 at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. A large example of how crime and national politics are used in sports. That sounds interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard about that, is, that one. Yeah, the Two Escobars. Yeah, that sounds neat. Uh, yeah. Number five, Diego, Mara- Diego Maradona from 2019. Uh, Told through using original footage only, unlike most biopics about a sports legend, Asif Kapadia uses amazing, uh, does amazingly show the rise, fall, and ensuing redemption by separating the man Diego growing up in Argentina to Maradona, the legend, and covers his best years as a player, his time playing for Napoli and Italy's Series A, and Argentina's national football team. It's all here, the great games, goals, and great scandals. Cool. I remember when that one came out, too, but mm. I didn't get around to that one. Um... Icarus, nineteen or twenty seventeen. Uh, do you remember I- Icarus this was really, really acclaimed when it came out? Yeah, it sounds um, uh, Never have sports documentaries felt like thrillers as this one does, exploring the cheating and especially doping. Doping can be uh, yes. yeah, taking performance. Yeah, yeah uh, I think um, it was uh, inspired by uh, the Lance Armstrong scandal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number three, Hillsborough, 2014. The assumptions and cover-up that surrounded the disaster of overcrowding, which led to the deaths of 96 Liverpool football fans. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's... Bad. You know, stadium... I feel like every stadium is badly designed. Yeah. Like, you, you, they're not comfortable to sit in. You nope. can't really see... There's too many people to see the game. Yep. Like, you're sitting in the back, you're seeing these tiny players. It's like, what's the point of even being there live? Mm-hmm. When you're that far back, I yeah. mean, like, what's the, what's, I guess it's to feel the roar of the crowd. I, I suppose so, but yeah. No, I don't know. No. I, I used to go to a lot of baseball games as a kid, and mm. like, at Dodger Stadium here in Los Angeles. I saw and, a couple of Padres games, I remember that. Uh, I don't know why specifically Padres, I grew up in game. LA, but whatever. <laughs> I got to see uh, a World Series game oh. when I was a, a young kid. That's cool. Uh, who was playing? Uh, the only player I remember was Oral Hershiser, and he like pitched, he was a pitcher, and he pitched yeah. some like an unbelievably good game, and I was there for that. And nice. I don't remember the details though. I, <laughs> I remember the malt cups that's, nice. and, and the Cracker Jacks boxes. I remember. That's, I remember they gave you little hats, and I remember. Uh, oh, and they put like uh, a scoop of ice cream in them. Yeah, they had, they had those, and um, I think what's the other thing I got for free there once. Think I got a glove? I don't know. Maybe I don't. Maybe <laughs> I, was, I was five. Anyway, moving on. Uh, number two, Free Solo, 2018, ah, yeah. Elizabeth Chai and Jimmy Chin, winner for Best Documentary of a professional rock, of professional rock Climbing. Never thought of mountain climbing as a sport until you view it through the mind of Alex Hanold when he attempts to climb Yosemite's 3,000-foot El Capitan without using any ropes, just like Captain Kirk did in Star Trek V. <laughs> okay, but Kirk had Spock in rocket boots to back him up. Uh, and he wasn't really climbing El Capitan, he was climbing like a plastic rock face on a Paramount lot, which was a really weird choice for a Star Trek movie. That movie's so cheap. It's so it, cheap. It, looks, <laughs> it looks like a backdrop. Like, it looks so bad. No, let's see. Anyway. And number one, Next Goal Wins from 2011. Hmm. Uh, while people who have never been able to relate to what any professional athletes go through in their sports career, it can feel like a feel like to, what it can feel like to play for a sports championship if they live it... Gosh, uh, if they no, live when, in when their own world away, place, sorry, sorry. So I got a little cross-eyed there. They live in their own world away with, with as they are people with regular jobs. This explore, explores those same high stakes, but at the lowest level. A Dutch coach is asked is tasked with one of the worst national teams in American Samoa during the transgender player who hasn't won a match in years and famously losing 31-0 to Australia. A classic underdog story following their journey on a qualifying campaign for the 2014 World Cup. Huh. Uh, to finish off, what are some of your favorite sports documentaries that you have seen? I look forward to hearing your responses, and sorry for the long letter. P.S. I appreciate uh, your your time. Glory, glory, critically acclaimed, and remember, you'll never pot alone, Robert. <laughs> Thank you. Um, also, Robert sent us some snacks. 
He did. Uh, yeah. Robert found some uh, Moomin candies from Finland. Yeah. Uh, if, That's cool. If, if you're... Uh, what are they? are they mints? Are they gummies? They're, they're, they're like they? little. They're like little hard gummies. Okay, um, that's cool. Yeah, they're like kind of gelatin candies. Hmm, that sounds awesome. Uh, if if you live in Europe, you know Moomin. If you live in the United States, maybe not so much. But yeah. Moomin, Tuve Janssen's Moomin book, comics, and cartoon series, very very much clout internationally. There's a Moomin anime. I think a lot of people know the anime now. I think the anime is reasonably well known to at least anime fans in America, and I think we're starting to see more and more merch. Yeah. But it's kind of a cult figure here in the United States, but there's like Moomin theme parks in Finland and Sweden. Yeah, and they also got me a box of Cookie Crisp, because they had spoken about it on a recent episode, so thank you. You're very, very kind. I haven't seen any of those movies <laughs> that you recommended. And they all sound really interesting. And again, I don't seek out sports stuff. I'm not asked to review sports stuff very often. I, I'm always interested if it's narrative fiction because um, I know I'll be guided in my interests. So like I'll know mm. like what to care about, what's important. But I'm always worried when I watch like a sports documentary that sometimes it'll be more for the pre-existing fans than for the noobs. Uh, however, I've seen some great sports documentaries out there. I, mm. I'm trying to think of, I mean, sometimes whether there are sports documentaries is a little nebulous. Did you ever see Touching the Void? I did. Touching the Void was a very, very good rock climbing documentary about people who were climbing this incredibly dangerous mountain. I can't remember which one offhand. And um, one of them on the on the descent, which is apparently more dangerous than the ascent, mm. uh, uh, on, they fell through a crevasse. And they were left for dead. Mm. Their their other two people on the rock climb looked around a bit, but they had to keep moving. And they just assumed that their other partner had died. He hadn't. Mm. He broke quite a few bones and proceeded to climb down. Uh, A lot of the footage in the movie is recreation. However, it is still stunning. Mm. Uh, And uh, I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of that one. I actually think about that one quite, quite a lot. Um, it's actually a, a, a fun documentary um, on Ovid right now, mm. uh, co- which I saw back when we showed it at the New Art. It's called Harvard Beats Yale 29 to 29. Oh, I heard and, about that. Yeah, it was yeah. about this uh, really bizarre aberration in sports history. Harvard and Yale have famously had a, a rivalry for many, many years. Right. And there's this infamous game uh, from decades ago where they played, and because of, even though it was a tied game, Harvard was declared the winner through some, like, oblique sporting rule, and how that has kind of left, because there's an asterisk by this game, mm-hmm. it's left this weird, indelible stain in the minds of all of the people who went through it, so we get to interview, it's like, what happened? Harvard beating Yale, but it's a tie game. You can't say it's a tie, like, there had to be a winner, because there, there's all these politics behind it, and it's really kind so of weird. fascinating the way uh, these things work themselves out. Um, uh, I really like that film Senna. Oh, I remember you talking about, about that. About yeah, the, yeah. the race car driver. Uh, that one was really good. I've seen a lot of the classics. Um, I've mm-hmm. seen Step Into Liquid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen Hoop Dreams, of course. It's been Endless of the great... Summer. I've seen that. that I actually haven't ago. seen Endless Summer. Yeah. Uh, um, what was the one... Oh, here's a question. Mm-hmm. Because there are some things that I think we can all agree are, sp- are sports. Baseball, basketball. There are also some activities... Where some people would consider them a sport and some people wouldn't. Mm. So I'm going to give you a documentary that I think plays like a sports documentary. And I think hits all the sports documentary beats. Mm. But I don't know if it's going to qualify as a sports documentary. King of Kong. (laughs) Fistful of Quarters. Yeah. Which is a really great documentary Mm. about competitive Donkey Kong players. People who are competing in old school Donkey Kong cabinets to like the arcade games from like Mm. the early 80s or whenever that came out. Um... And they're trying to beat like the fastest times and highest points ever. Um, and it's absurdly competitive mm. to the people who take it really, really seriously. And it, I think it hits all the sports beats. Uh, it feels <laughs> like a sports documentary, yeah, even yeah, though, yeah. is it really a sport? Some say yes. There's a, there's a whole section now called eSports, mm. where, where people play certain competitive Sp- games. Sporting you know. video games. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, but they're not, they're not mm. necessarily playing basketball. They're playing yeah. stuff like and, Overwatch or, or Call of yeah, Duty. The, you know. there, there are some documentaries about... Well, like I said, Step Into Liquid. Surfing is 
it, it's not surfing as a competitive sport. It's mm-hmm. surfing as, as an activity. Right. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 it's... It certainly... I think it counts for a documentary. It kind of counts it's, as a documentary. It's, if you're interested same in the with, sport, um, you'd want to see that documentary, right? I, I also remember from the same director, I saw a film called Dust to Glory, which is about a, a cross-country car race. Mm. And uh, it, it's one of those car races that it like, takes days to finish, and after a few hours of driving, you're essentially just covered in dust and you can't see anything. And then you have to do it for another 24 straight hours. And it it sort of details how, yeah, we're going to get together and we're going to show off our cars and we're going to race. And it's going to be it's going to be like a movie where you're sort of like taking quick turns and zipping ahead of people when really it's just this like horrendous endurance test where you're s- literally swallowing dirt. Like, this is oh. not really a sport after a while. It's just this weird torture chamber you've put yourself in. Oh, uh, it's a really fascinating documentary. Yeah. Um, but listen, I think we can both admit that even though I think you're a little bit more interested than I am, or at least you've seen more than I have, it's not our field. Mm. It's definitely not our expertise. Neither of us should be doing, like, a documentary about sports documentaries anytime <laughs> soon and being a talking head. Let me tell you about the most important sports documentary of all time. Uh, so uh, if you have any more uh, recommendations, anyone else wants to write in and talk about uh, sort of filling the gaps in our sports documentary knowledge, you want to share this because apparently we haven't talked about it very much, mm-hmm. uh, you let us know. Feel free to email us, uh, you, uh, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net, or send us something to our P.O. box. We would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. So thank you for this. I mean it. This has actually been really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always good to have a reminder that as much as we try to learn about everything, there's always something we know less about. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Stuff, you yeah. Know? Like we're, no one's an expert in everything, right? Content, yeah, and I've said, you know, the, I've been making a conscious effort to see films from countries I've never seen them f- from before, right. and uh, so trying to explore the world's cinema a little bit more actively. Yeah, uh, yeah, and sport documentaries—that's another corner that I need to sort of get into. I've only seen a handful. Same. All right, well, let's move on. Here's another, uh, here is a letter from R. Clay Johnson. Oh, hi, R. Clay Johnson. Hello, R. Clay Johnson. Uh, hey, Bims and Whitney. First, I want to say thank you for all your podcasts. I've been listening to you guys for five, over five years now. Mm. In that time, you have not only pointed me towards some of my favorite films. While I've not seen many 2021 films, The Mitchells vs. The Machines is easily my favorite so far. Yay! Uh, but you have also made me more socially conscious. What is not only transferred to the way I think about film, but the way I think period. So thank you. I appreciate that you not only seek to bring awareness, but you encourage your listeners with personal experience to share their perspectives as well. In that vein, Hmm. I would like to talk about something that lacks awareness. Uh, My nephew has NVLD or NLD. That is nonverbal listening, nonverbal learning disorder. Okay. Uh, Because of the lack of awareness of NVLD, people either assume it's not real and my sister is making it up, or they assume that he has different limitations than he does. While I have a basic understanding of the disorder, I don't want to get it wrong, so I've asked my sister to go into a description below. Uh, And this is a quote from... Uh, his sister. Yeah, please. Uh, NVLD stands for nonverbal learning disorder. This does not mean that a child cannot speak. NVLD affects a person's ability to understand nonverbal social cues. Ah, the mm. things that we do physically without speaking, like shrugging our shoulders to say, I don't know, or winking at someone as a means of confirming our connection. NVLD also affects facial recognition. So if your friend gets a haircut or an actor dresses in a disguise, they may be unrecognizable. NVLD is often compared to Asperger's, but Asperger's tends to involve more severe social issues than NVLD. Associated disorders with NVLD are anxiety, ADHD, and real OCD. NVLD symptoms worsen even with treatment as a child gets older. Many people are not diagnosed until they are teenagers or even adults. Children in middle school often go undiagnosed and appear very typical. This makes life very hard for them, resulting in a high suicide rate. People with NVLD also tend to have other learning disorders like uh, dyscalculia Mm. and dysgraphia. One amazing thing about people with NVLD is the grand intelligence with verbal skills. People with NVLD are often able to articulate with great diction and detail, opening the world up to the thoughts of those in the shadows of society. People with NVLD often become authors and poets. End quote. Uh, As far as representation in media, my sister puts the question to her NVLD network and got several responses, including Howard Bannister from What's Up Doc, Mm. Elliot Reed from the TV show Scrubs, Beth Harmon from Queen's Gambit. Uh, didn't see Queen's Gambit. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, it's good. Tina from Bob's Burgers, as well as Spock and Data from Star Trek. Oh, yeah. uh, my sister and her son also specifically called out, uh, is it Abed? Abed from Community? Uh, Abed, yeah. Abed from Community. Mm. And Aaron from The Mitchells vs. the Machines. Oh, yeah. 
While none of these are 100% accurate representations of NVLD, they did make someone watching them feel seen, and that's important. Thank you for the time, Arclay Johnson. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, and we, uh, that's something we, we, that you're right, it doesn't come up very often uh, in the media. And mm. I, I, the. For people who have experiences that are not. We live so much in our popular culture, we live so much in the media. Uh-huh. The movies we watch, the TV we watch, the radio we listen to, the music, the video games we play, wh- whatever, the books we read. Mm. That when we, our experience is nowhere to be found there, um, it can be very isolating and painful. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of people who don't know what that's like because they f- hit a certain demographic that has been considered kind of the baseline mm-hmm. for a long time. I'm thinking white males aged teenage to mid-40s. Yeah. Um, and when everything is catering to you, sometimes you can lose sight of just how many experiences you're not getting. Yeah. And yeah. so well, it's really important that we raise awareness of this stuff and that we need to remind people that this is really important and uh, this is it's really useful to know that there are other experiences that are really important to, to like describe and understand and, and for people who have those experiences and those lives to be represented in our media. It's super duper important. I, I know I sound it, <laughs> saying super duper makes it sound a little, <laughs> made me sound a little silly, but uh, I, I think that I mean it though. It's important. It, it's important, uh, to have something accurately represented. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, and we've talked about this before, um, when it comes to the depiction of, of, uh, neurodivergent or atypical people on camera or mm-hmm. just any depiction of mental illness in general. Mm-hmm. Um, Hollywood doesn't bother to get it right. They don't yeah. care. They're they're interested in making like a fun story or an interesting yeah. potboiler. They care about what uh, looks so, dramatic or yeah, exciting. We yeah. we uh, we reviewed um, Brian De Palma's Sisters, which oh, yeah. is is not at all accurate uh, as to mental illness at oh, all. Not like, even like, remotely. There's, there's no fact in that whatsoever. Yeah. But because of movies like Sisters and others like it, uh, a lot of audiences assume that that's the truth. Yeah. And. I think a lot of audiences are wise enough to know that's not the truth, but maybe some aren't. Well, and yeah, I think... It's also important to remember that when people watch these things when they're young, impressionable, mm. and not thinking critically about the art form... Or they've never things... heard of something like that before, yeah, these, then this is just... going to be their first exposure. Your first exposure is, for a while, all you know about yeah, something. So... And, and there's an important responsibility it's... that comes with that, which is why I think it's really important to remember that while movies don't necessarily have to be upstanding all the time, and they can certainly tackle or even revel... Mm. in uh, negativity or depravity, whatever you want to call it. Um, I do still believe that it behooves filmmakers to think responsibly and ethically about how their movie is presented Mm. because your movie does have an impact, or at least it can. I I remember seeing um, uh, uh, Eli Roth's film, (laughs) uh, The Green Inferno. I still haven't seen that one. Um. You you don't really need to. Um. It's my understanding (laughs) that I don't really need to. Um, And... and (laughs) It, it's it's an incredibly immature movie, um, and at the end, in the credits, Eli Roth gives essentially a bibliography of in, his influences. It's like if you like these wild cannibal movies, you should mm-hmm. watch Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox and all these other movies. Like he lists those in the credits of his film. Not once does he say, "And here are some charities you can do to protect local tribes that I'm clearly exploiting and making up for the purposes of my movie." Yeah, it's not no, worth n- nothing. Like so, there's like a little bit of of unethical filmmaking going on there. He's yeah. more focused on. What he grew up as a film watching as a film viewer, mm-hmm. than he but is not about thinking about the actual in, how it's engaging with the real world. Because, and, because a lot, if you if you only watch those movies, mm-hmm. what are you going to think about exactly, people who yeah. live if in those places? That, it's, that's that's going to be your only input it's about the, yeah, the yeah about uh, those people. And yeah. I think uh, there are some films that are about. Uh, being neurodivergent uh, that do have some information in the credits about, you know, if you want mm-hmm. more information, you can call this number. This is clearly a work of fiction. Yeah. Uh, we didn't get all the facts right. Like they're encouraging you to find it, even yeah. though a lot don't mm-hmm. like M night Shyamalan isn't going to putting something in the credits of split about, you know, mental health because that's a superhero movie. It's magical. Yeah. There's nothing. I still think it's, I still think it's, it's a little irresponsible bad film, it, but yeah, I mean, it's clearly a fantasy film, and as a fantasy film, it's actually kind of fun. But you right. know, if you're dealing with actual mental illness, have, it's incredibly you have, irresponsible. You have a claiming their character is claiming to be an expert mm. in that field, saying that but people the things, with these mental illnesses are superhuman in the next yeah, phase of the, human evolution and the, superpowers. The expert says, "No, this this is what superpowers look like," and he yeah, can yeah. he can get super strong and climb walls and shit. Yeah, and that's. Yeah, I think 
that's I think that's our, that's that's riding the line there. Yeah, that's riding the line. There. <laughs> but in any case, thank you so much for emailing us. Thank you so much for talking about something we haven't had an opportunity to discuss yeah. yet. Thank you for sharing your experiences and the experiences of your family. Um, I think this is super important, and I'm just I'm really really honored mm. that you would consider this a safe place to talk about that. So thank you. Mm. Um, and uh, let's move on. Let's, yeah, let's, uh, yeah. Here's a letter from Name Redacted. If you don't sign off, I'm not going to read your name out of the subject line, yep. just to protect your privacy. Uh, hey, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. Hope you guys are doing well. I listen to your shows all the time on my way to work. And even when I'm just having a tough day mentally, 2020, am I right? <laughs> uh, anyway, on to my question. I'm traveling to California soon Ooh. and found myself wanting to watch a few movies to get excited about being in Los Angeles for the Ooh. first time. Two of them are movies that I was introduced to through my dad, and those are Heat and to live and die out in L.A. Those are good Los Angeles. Another one is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even though I plan on bringing the novel with me. Uh, I was wondering what are some movies you could recommend that are very L.A. centers or L.A. centered or help convey the vibe of L.A. slash California. Uh, uh, keep it a great word and thanks. This is uh, actually one of my favorite subgenres of movies okay. because we grew up here. This, this is our town. Yeah. Uh, L- L.A. is everything, even if they're contradictory, it's everything you've seen in every movie. Uh, yeah. so, there's so many weird corners of Los Angeles, and it is all just sort of mashed together. So uh, the ones I'd like to recommend, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, Tangerine. That's just okay. a wonderful movie, and that depicts Hollywood the way it actually looks. There's no mm. there's no glamour. It's actually just like that that one donut shop on Santa Monica Boulevard. Yeah, like you, it's like that's catch, the way that donut you shop can, looks. You can catch Los Angeles from certain angles, and it looks very glitzy. But mostly, it's just a damn city. It's, it's just a big damn city. Yeah, there's some, a lot, a lot of really ugly. Depicted that way. It's actually a pretty ugly city. Uh, Los Angeles yeah. is not beautiful. Uh, there's a lot of ass was, ugly architecture in this town. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah. horrible architecture. We tear things down and we rebuild mm-hmm. things. These things are constantly under construction. The roads aren't good and. Because of some weird city statute from a century ago, we decided not to bury our phone lines. So there's phone lines and billboards all over everything, and mm-hmm. it's just a complete ugly blight. It this really is. is. This is a, a, an ass ugly <laughs> town in a lot of, from a lot of angles. You're, you're 100% yeah. correct in every, in every I, way. I'm so glad that the digital billboard operators got sued the fuck into oh the Oh my ground. god, those things. It was kind of cool for a minute, because we had these digital billboards that were actually like videos and shit, and like mm. they were super bright, and for a bit, it was kind of cool because it was like we are living in Blade Runner, but then we remembered Blade Runner is a dystopia, <laughs> and that shit sucks. There there's was light pollution everywhere there's one right near us it was this gigantic billboard really close to the ground that was Mm -hmm. like burning into people's uh uh, apartment windows and stuff and yeah the the, even though they were being sued and they were ordered by law to take them down they kept putting them up because there's so many billboards Mm -hmm. they could get away with that eventually they all came down it was this big crackdown no more digital billboards just the regular ugly ones (laughs) still not attractive yeah uh but yeah, Tangerine is really, really good. And if you really want a good uh, cross-section as to uh, everything L.A. can be in the movies, there's a really mm. wonderful documentary. I think it might be on Netflix called mm. Los Angeles Plays Itself. Oh, I've never actually and, sat down uh, and watched all of that. It's really, really good. Yeah, yeah and it is about uh, how L.A. has been depicted in film throughout history and what it actually is and how it actually looks. And they talk to you know, f- filmmakers and, and scholars and people who are, you mm. know, experts in Los Angeles history. And just, uh, we get a good sense as to how the city has been, uh, just fully exploited. Mm. And you get a lot, a lot, a lot of examples in that movie as to, um, like LA movies that mm-hmm. you can watch. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I've, I haven't seen mm. all of those, but I agree with the ones you're talking about mm. now. Uh, one of my favorites, and this is a movie that, if you're not from, I know I've talked to people who've seen this movie who weren't from LA, mm. and they thought it was like very, very silly. And then you talk to people who were from LA and grew up in this town, and if they watch the movie LA Story, mm. they're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like it's, it's this weird magical realism kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, there's a lot of magic in it, but. Um, it's pretty damn earnest about what it's like in LA, and if it's not accurate, it's how it feels. <laughs> you know, like uh, there's this whole bit where um, uh, you know traffic sucks in Los Angeles. That's just the unavoidable truth. Uh, and uh, there's a whole bit where Steve Martin's just like stuck in traffic, and he's like, "Wait a minute, what day is it? Oh God, open season began on the expressway. Get my gun!" Everyone is just shooting each other on the expressway as they merge. Uh, freeway shootings aren't as as big a problem as they used to be. <laughs> there, no. there was this brief period, but it like, felt the, like it, didn't in, it? In the in the the late eighties to like early nineties, like a two year period when there was just a lot of freeway shoot, like shootings yeah. on the freeway from yeah. car to car. Yeah, 
No, totally. Road, um, road rage taken to the next level. Uh, if you want to see, like, I, I would normally recommend movies that are kind of like what L.A. is like now-ish, but if you mm. want to see a great film about what L.A. looks like a while ago, and it's really not that different now, uh, look at Charles Burnett's Killer of Sheep. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's, That's a, good one. a great slice of life movie mm. uh, about uh, Los Angeles, and it's mm. truly fantastic. Um, uh, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive mm-hmm. uh, is, again, it's like very fantasy-based, mm-hmm. uh, and but it is kind of about how... Uh, how fake everything is is in L.A. and yet how beautiful it is at the same time. Yeah, uh, My favorite movie that I think captures the way L.A. looks, even though the movie itself is kind of deeply problematic, mm-hmm. is Joel Schumacher's Falling Down. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of good geography in Falling Down. It's about a guy who just ditches his car and goes mad and walks home and causes all kinds of trouble and kills people. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it, 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 again, you'll watch it. It's a problematic motion picture. But... It, that's the way LA looks. Hmm. Honestly, like I think more than any other movie I've ever seen, that's the one that captures the overall day to day feel of Los Angeles in terms yeah. of just the, the the general like the architecture. They they didn't clean anything up to make it look nicer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that's what LA is, uh, and I think that's a that's a good approach for that. Um, here's a movie that I think uh, is actually a pretty good LA movie, hmm. even though people don't usually think of it this way. But the original, The Fast and the Furious. Actually, that's a lot of good uh, uh, LA stuff. They go up to a great restaurant, which I don't think is there anymore, called Neptune's Net. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of like little bits in there. Um, I like the way that Nicholas Winding Revens Drive tries to focus on parts of the city that other places don't film, like Century City. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Century City, not a city. <laughs> it's it's a couple of uh, big buildings if, if north from, of Culver City. If you're going to see a Century City movie. Watch Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. So that was filmed in Century City. That that little complex had just been built. It looked really futuristic. So they said, what the heck? It's just, this is the future. Yeah, kind of. And we're going to have an ape riot here later in the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to think. What else are, uh, uh, what else are some good ones? Um, are there, there's a, a film called City of Industry, which is about City of Industry. Here, which is, I, I uh, haven't uh, seen that one. Uh, they live is very eighties set, but that's another There's, good one about LA. I think, um, like they live, uh, Hotel Artemis. Well, uh, Hotel Artemis is mostly in that one hotel. Though. It's that one, but it's downtown LA. Yeah, and, fair uh, There's a few that have yeah, like these little little corners of downtown that you know mm-hmm. do accurately depict that, but it's not about like LA proper. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, there's no shortage of films that are about Los Angeles or set in Los Angeles. We all and have all, our favorites. All, all the show, and we're leaving out all the showbiz movies too. Oh so. yeah, because I feel like that's <clears throat> that's kind of a cliche, and frankly, most of them are designed to look kind of glitzy and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, the, for me, the LA is the walking down Pico Boulevard, LA. That's LA <laughs> to me, where it's like you get a little bit of that glamour. You know, the Fox Studio lot is on Pico, but then like. Two blocks away, there's like a shitty KFC. Mm. You know, right. <laughs> that's also LA. That's mm. it's all there together. You get uh, the Fox lot, and across the street from that, you get this big old golf course. And then a couple of blocks away, you get a shitty KFC and a shitty but actually quite good hot dog stand. And then you get like a shitty McDonald's, and then a cute as, as opposed to the really store. good ones. Yeah, but you know what I mean. There's, there's the you know, like, there, there's the McDonald's you don't go to because they don't look clean. <laughs> like, there's three McDonald's in, like, driving, in, like, walking distance, but you don't go to that one because that one just feels like they never really clean it up nice and you don't really trust it. Oh, and uh, uh, and who could forget Volcano? Uh, which no is, one could forget Volcano. Yeah. I'm embarrassed I didn't bring it up yet because Vol- Volcano is the Volcano is, is very much an L.A. movie. Uh, sure. In fact, it ends with uh, that... It ends with the song I Love L.A., which is a song I hate, by the way. Oh, every person from L.A. hates that song. <laughs> Not because it's overplayed. I just hate it. I don't like the melody. <laughs> See, that's kind of a crap song, actually. I'm totally with you on that. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's about volcanoes erupting in Los Angeles, and there's lines of dialogue like, Tell everybody to empty their pools. We can catch more lava that way. <laughs> it ends up erupting right next to the Beverly Center. Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's in the La Brea Tar Pits. Yeah, the, the, the <laughs> scene ridiculous. In, yeah. it's a and, stupid thing. and then there's a scene in a subway because <laughs> LA has a lot of those. Well, it does now. It does now. At the time, not so much. Uh, it seemed ridiculous at the time because yeah. they were still building the, the subway. I know, I know. Sort of like sort of taking it on faith that the subways will still be a thing. But mm. anyway, um, so anyway, a lot of picks. If anyone else has any particular favorite LA movies, we'd love to hear from you. Please share if we if we missed anything. Uh, but there's yeah, a lot of good ones out there. Mm. Uh, hopefully that helps. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, moving on. Here is a letter from uh, Ian Russ. Hello, Ian Russ. Hi. Hello, gentlemen. First of all, thank you, and thank you again for your hard work and the hours of listening pleasure you bring to us. You are amazing. Oh, that, that's oh, very kind. We, we, we don't do enough. Uh, never do enough. No. Uh, second of all, I do have a couple of bones to pick Fair. with you concerning okay. a couple of recent episodes, Nam- namely the latest critically acclaimed and the latest cancel too soon. Uh-oh. <clears throat> In the latest critically acclaimed episode, uh, Bibbs was very enthusiastic about the film The Protégé, mm. uh, saying how much fun it was and how especially sexy Michael Keaton can be. I have to come clean. When it comes to taste, mine run close to Whitney's. And having listening to you for almost five years now, I can be almost 100% sure that I will like or love almost any film that Mr. Seibold recommends. Oh, well. Fair enough. Glad we have similar taste. Yeah. Uh, As for Mr. Bibiani, our opinions uh, coincide about four times out of ten, but that's absolutely okay, of course. It doesn't mean that I don't value his opinion and don't consider him brilliant, clever, incisive, and sincere critic. I'm not a fan. Uh, However, I felt that I was really confused after watching The Protégé. Why, oh, why did you like this pile of formulaic tripe so much, kids? <laughs> <laughs> why did you like a film in which Americans blithely kill Romanian people in Romania, British people in London, and most egregiously tons of Vietnamese people in Vietnam, Vietnam of all places? How is it okay to be all right with this view of the world when there are Americans everywhere doing their business, having lots of guns, just killing a lot of local people? I seem to remember Bibbs being very upset, and rightly so, about the latest Rainbow installment, where Mexican people were demonized and stereotyped. Same with both Sicarios. Neither Bibbs nor Whitney liked these films, especially the second one. Mm. But here we have a film where no Vietnamese actor has a speaking part being used as fodder for American gun games. Uh where brave and oh-so-sexy Michael Keaton easily kills tons of Asian-looking extras, very few of whom are actually Vietnamese if you read the credits closely, Mm. knifing a woman in the stomach and using her as a human shield, uh, sexily, no doubt, where where Vietnam is used as an exotic backdrop to these disgusting American gun shenanigans. Did it not seem at all crass to you that the film is set in Vietnam where Americans famously killed tons of people and still had their asses kicked? I guess we should expect movies set in Afghanistan now, right? <laughs> well, we had them before. Yeah. Yeah, we had them <clears throat> in the 80s. Mm. Rambo 3. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to go the Rambo 3 route or the coming home route. Uh, anyway, yeah, I have some issues with the film, and mm. I'm not even talking about its ridiculousness, its stupid plot holes, it's not very good performances, it's not at all interesting storyline. However, uh that's by the by compared to the issues I list, listed above. So yep. I really would like to know why Bibbs, uh, you seemingly did you seemingly not notice this or did it not matter to you? Mm-hmm. I hasten okay. to add that I am not having a go at you in any way. <laughs> I just want to understand why you recommended this movie because it upsets me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we should get to the second. Uh, the, bit the second or? second part, but that's toward me. So okay. Well, why don't why don't I why don't I tackle yeah. this then? Um, uh, that's a good question, mm-hmm. honestly, and I will rethink my approach to that movie. Um, there are a lot of movies that take place in worlds where people kill a lot of people. Mm. Um, and I think some are more overt in their, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, generalizations or essentializations, mm. uh, than others. Um, for me, because, uh, the primary antagonists of the film were Caucasian, mm. uh, it seemed like it took a little bit of the edge off of that. However, all of those points you made are completely valid, and I will rethink that. What I was focused on was I was focused on the trio of assassins, mm. played by Samuel L. Jackson, Maggie Q, and Michael Keaton, and I was thinking of them in more of a 1970s Charles Bronson, aging out, immoral mm. people, trying to make good, mm. making connections, but not sure if they can trust each other. On that level, on that sort of samurai movie level of people who are professionals, mm. professional killers, and how that has affected them and the way they interact, um, that's what appealed to me about okay. the film. Uh, the style of the film, I think Martin Campbell knows how to do a classy action sequence. But um, you know what? You, you, you raise an excellent point. Um, I do believe mm-hmm. that there, there are degrees... In which a movie can be, again, irresponsible. I've talked about that before recently in this episode. Um, I think there are movies that are completely irresponsible and are flat out saying this is what it's like. It's one of the reasons why I have difficulty with the Sicario films. Mm. Because they're not action movies. They're not escapist. They're they're not even trying to just tell you this is just this one little weird corner of the world. They're trying to tell you this is what it's really like. And I think that's irresponsible. Same way with the Rambo Last Blood. Uh, here, because it was so laser-focused on just a couple of people and their intimate experiences, it, maybe it slipped by me. Maybe mm. it just slipped this one by me, and I, and I was having an off day, and I shouldn't have given it a free pass. I will seriously okay. rethink this movie. I will rewatch it at some point. Yeah, well, Thank you for your point of view. And, and that's been an issue I've had with just sort of the action genre in general, especially yeah. the gun-based ones. Yeah. 
uh, a lot of them present uh, violence as something cool and heroic. Yeah. And it's something that uh, cool, heroic people get to do, murder other people. Yeah. And the people they and murder... And right. And the, yeah, and they're right to do so. So the people they're murdering are like faceless bad guys or faced mm. bad guys, but they're bad. Yeah. It's okay. They're, they're uh, yeah. working for this bad guy, and therefore yeah. and they're, they're fundamentally bad, and yeah. it's okay to kill them if, even if we never know who they yeah. were. There's, there, in fact, they, that that whole notion was deconstructed in an action film. Uh, it has a lot of horrible racist stereotyping in it now, but it's uh, funny otherwise. Uh, true Lies, mm-hmm. uh, where yeah. uh, Jamie Lee Curtis learns that her husband, Arnold Schwarzenegger, has been a super spy, has been sneaking off and killing people, uh, and she had no idea that he was doing this. Yeah. And... Uh, He's been injected with truth serum, and uh, she's there at you know at the time when he's being tied up. So she actually gets to grill him for a little bit. Yeah, this is like, it's basically how, you, how you long have have, to, I can trust everything you're saying for one. Yeah, yeah like how how, how long have you been doing this? It's like oh, I've been doing this since before we were married. I didn't believe it. How do you keep it secret? Oh, you know, I just was able to balance. And she asks him, "Have you killed anybody?" And he kind of looks her and very com- comedically says, "Yes, but they were all bad." Yeah, and. So it's always, it's very yeah, movie logic. Yeah, it's it? like yes, I killed people, but they're they're bad, so it's okay that I mur- yeah. that I murdered all these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, horror movie violence. I love that stuff. Monsters kill you. That's scary. The death in horror movies is seen as well, seen as bad, seen as horrible and frightening. Yeah, they're and that's why because mm. they have this sort of moral approach where like death is a bad thing to be yeah, avoided. Death is, in action it, movies, death fear is a cool associated thing. with death. A lot of people in in action movies. Mm will like put themselves in a position to die and it's considered badass yeah. and not sad. You it, know, it's, it's like, it's, uh, it's I mean, rare that, uh, percent for heroic sacrifice, but come on, we're fetishizing it at that point. It's rare that a badass soldier is presented as like a horror monster, which is why I love the movie, the guest so much. Yeah. Cause that he's, he's a super soldier. Yeah. And that what movie if Captain America was the bad guy. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that could have easily have been turned into like a Captain America type movie where he gets to mm-hmm. do like noble things and kill bad people. And he does kill bad people, but it's not seen as a good thing. And he's also killing good people. He's also it's, killing good people. He's like also killing yeah. people for things that, you know, like very mild infractions as he yeah. sees them. Uh, yeah, so I didn't see the protege, but I I totally understand yeah. what I, th- I think. It's, sometimes it's at. easy to get wrapped up in the style of something and mm. lose sight of some of the bigger issues. And if I did that this time, fair play, fair mm. critique. Um, and I I again mm. I want to rewatch the movie at some point. Yeah, and uh, so I can with that lens to make sure that that's indeed what I did. Yeah, Sounds like it's what I did. Um, I will I will take point on that. If I was okay. wrong, I apologize. Well, and there's a trap we can fall into as critics. Uh, we've seen so many movies that we recognize like tropes and patterns mm-hmm. uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. So when we see a movie and say, "Oh, this is in uh, James Bond mold," yeah, we're we ha- we our minds are now locked sort of into that position, as it were, mm-hmm. and now we're sort of seeing it through that lens. This is a James Bond type of a movie, mm-hmm. so it's going to have a lot of the things that. The good and the bad from James Bond. It's gonna have like mm-hmm. s- slick action, globe trotting, but also it's easy to get a little brazen murder. And yeah. yeah, so you when you start to see it sort of as a genre exercise or a little mm-hmm. bit more fantastic. I think I was. You're a lot more. You're a lot more uh, forgiving. I think it was forgiving too, the yeah. philosophy as a genre exercise. I think it's a really excellent point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but thank you for that. And yeah, we need to constantly challenge ourselves and not let ourselves off the hook. So thank yeah. you for that. And uh, yeah. and I apologize. That uh, a recommendation uh, went awry. I know some people who saw it and liked it, but maybe there's maybe it's intensely problematic, and I I'll, screwed up. I'll, I'll still watch it, but yeah, it's yeah, still yeah. not my kind of movie. Uh, anyway, no. uh, my other pickable bone is with Whitney, and it has to do with your episode about Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Oh, it's the BBC thing. It's the BBC thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I was so pleased to download it. I've been a fan of Dark Place from the beginning, and I really wanted you two to talk about it. However, I couldn't help but notice certain that's not mince words errors in your discourse. Uh, Whitney, you said, like, I've been corrected on this, but like we have like seven letters, mm-hmm. like just this week, correcting me on this. This is what and I get I've for been letting corrected. Whitney talk. Yeah. I assumed you knew everything he was talking about. No, I didn't know what he was talking about. Okay, <laughs> I don't live in England. I don't know. He was wrong. Okay? I, I, I he was, was wrong, wrong about this. He was wrong. I said it was a BBC production. It's not a BBC production. Uh, uh, I suppose you labor under the misconception that the BBC is the one and only British TV channel. Uh, it is not, and never has been so. Even in the pre-satellite days, there were five terrestrial channels. We've been talking, yeah. yeah we, uh, we, other letters. We actually had a previous letter in so which we addressed past that. Uh, also, Whitney, you were saying something along the lines of uh, uh, Brits are famously disdainful of the Scots. Uh, and this is uh, something I, I... I admit this is a bit of education I learned from Monty Python. And this is another reason why you shouldn't get your education from movies. Yep. Um, this is nonsense. Scots are Brits. Scotland's is part of the Great... Great Britain, along with England, Nails, Northern 
England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. I guess you meant the English, uh, because yes, some dickhead English people do not like Scots, the okay. Welsh, the Irish, and anybody else non-English. However, as I said, they are dickheads and not representative of the country as a whole. I understand that American, as Americans, you traditionally don't know or care much about things in other countries, so I took it upon myself to tell you about this one thing. Uh... Fair play. The egg uh, is on our faces. The, uh, we, we, we are Americans and we live in a vat of egg. Yeah. <laughs> We're constantly submerged in egg. We, um, when I, I did get to travel, uh, when I was a teenager, like extensively for, for months at a time and in Europe. And I did get to learn that in Europe, they learn other languages and they're mm-hmm. aware of other countries and they're it, aware of, of world politics. A lot of Europeans in a way I've that, met yeah. know American history better than I do. Yeah. And I'm not completely, I like American history, at least as a subject, not like what we did. What we did <laughs> terrible, but like, I like learning about American mm. history. Like it, yeah, it's, Whereas it's he, pretty yeah, embarrassing. Here, actually, here in America, we're, America we're, we're not yeah. required to learn any other languages. Nope. We don't learn a lot about world history except like, a class in high school and it's not all that uh, mm-hmm. extensive. We don't pay attention to international news except as it's filtered through American news networks. This is why a lot of people I know watch the B- here in, in the United States mm-hmm. watch the BBC news yep. uh, because it actually tells you about the world. Yep. Uh, and and as such, we have a reputation for being ignorant, and it's well founded. Yep. Even we, and I'm not, even when, and you, I'm even not when we try, from, we fuck uh, up. And, and I'm not free from that myself. So yeah. um, I, I apologize for all my cultural ignorance. I've been out of the country. That doesn't mean I know anything. No. no yeah. I, and you know all, what? all I can say is at least I've traveled. You know what? You know what? I'm going to say this right now because um, both of us got taken to test just yeah. now. And, you know, it, it stings a little, you know, <laughs> the, the, the pride is a bit wounded. But oh. you know what? It, mm. But that's that's just being human. Yeah. I, um, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed that we may have one of us definitely made a mistake. I may have made a mistake. Mm. and probably did. Um, it's. Not fun, but you know what? We have to own up to it, don't we? We well, have to just I, I, say we fucked up. We're sorry about this, and we're all trying to grow as, as people, and we're going to keep trying harder and harder. Right, there's there's a little bit more, um, okay. but you know, I'm, I'm so so emotionally numb that being embarrassed is one of the only things I can feel anymore. So uh, <sighs> so I don't mind being embarrassed. Well, I have and, a uh, shame. That's right. <laughs> yeah, lots sh- and lots. Of sh- shame. shame and embarrassment are, are yeah. kind of like the the last lingering things in my brain. Mm. Uh, and yeah, so I, I don't, I would prefer to be corrected mm-hmm. and like made a fool of in front of a crowd than just continue on being ignorant. Yeah. The last thing we want to do is to perpetuate ignorance. Yeah. It's yeah. one thing to like mess some, mess something up. It's another thing to make other people think that your ignorance is accurate. Mm. So whoops. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm not going to double down on any of this shit. Um, no, 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 no. We're anyway, not going to be um, like, Hey, we're not going to, we're not going to puff ourselves up here. Yeah, we, if we fucked up, we fucked up. Uh, Ian also says, by the way, I totally disagreed with your opinion that Garth Mergie's dark place needed to be uh, <clears throat> emphatic and obvious in its satire of sexism and other things that it should have spelled everything out. So totally. I do not think so. This is a program aimed at adults with a sense of humor that do not need things to be pre-chewed for them. When watching this show for the first time, it never occurred to me that it was anything but uh, clever and funny satire. You're lamenting the fact that the creators of the show decided not to pander to the lowest common denominator and not dumb down and respect their audience. Uh, anyone who misunderstands or confuses its satirical bend probably shouldn't be watching anything more complicated than Sesame Street. Uh, frankly, I found your words about it need to being uh, need, needing it to be more obvious quite patronizing. Having said all that, I want to express my tremendous gratitude to you both. You are among my favorite critics, podcasters, and heck, people in general. All the best, and I hope no hard feelings. Sincerely, Ian Russ. Uh, uh, to, no hard feelings whatsoever. To that last point, uh, and we've talked about this before, um, there is a, a certain kind of satire that likes to employ a lot of offensive language. Mm-hmm. Uh, you use ra- like shocking racist terms, shock humor, uh, sexist words. And when I was young, I maybe took for granted that the audience understood that that was satire. Yeah. That these uh, family guy is a prime example I typically go to. Mm. South Park the, uh, is another South Park one. is yeah. another one. These are shows that use a lot of really vulgar language to mm. send up vulgar attitudes. Mm-hmm. And have characters and, uh, that espouse vulgar attitudes, mm. ostensibly because, mm. uh, theoretically anyway, because the creators think people will understand that it's a joke, mm. but... And and, hmm. and, and and indeed, a lot of people latched onto the show because of the, the sort of skewering of those attitudes. Mm-hmm. It's like, here, here's a show that is using a lot of shocking language to show you that we don't really... We shouldn't be using this shocking language. What we have learned in the ensuing years is that a lot of people are actually drawn to the shocking thing because they agree with the shocking language. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the only type of show that so, is actually yeah. saying that stuff out loud at all. So yeah, these shows yeah. are saying these things out loud and we've found that there is a, a 
rather large contingency of the audience that is doesn't see it as satire. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had to understand that there's a more ethical way to do satire. Mm-hmm. And simply repeating racist language, I think a reasonably minded, intelligent adult mm-hmm. would understand that it was satire. Yes, but, but we're we, also, have to we also have to that, key that, in yeah. that there's a way to take it wrong and we have to... Point that out when we see yeah. it. This is, again, this is what we talk about when it's about uh, ethical and responsible uh, filmmaking. And um, and again, people can be oblivious. People can screw up, certainly. But when there's a certain level of consistency, the question is, if you like seeing people be sexist, if that affirms your worldview, mm. would watching this thing, which ostensibly is a satire, but never quite comes out and says it, mm. would watching this thing satisfy that urge for you? And if the answer is yes, that may be a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, again, I don't think it necessarily seriously hurts Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, but it's something that I think comes up now when we yeah. watch it. And we think to ourselves, was this indeed the yeah, best the, way to uh, handle this material? Maybe mm-hmm. not, maybe. And we can appreciate it on that level, but we've also seen what's happened in the last 20 years as this kind of uh, discourse has been normalized mm-hmm. for a lot of people, and, and all of a sudden people are saying these things out loud in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so at that, some point, at some point, the satire falls away, and all yeah. you're left with is the offensive language. And we're not saying that these things um, cannot be articulated mm-hmm. or said or used in drama or comedy. We're not saying that. No one's suggesting yeah, I, uh, any form of production code censorship or anything like that. But what we are saying is that we have to be thoughtful about how we employ them. Yeah. I uh, yeah. I got into a big fight with a friend once over a, an early 2000s Comedy Central show, or I think it was Comedy Central, mm. called The Man Show. Oh, yeah. And The Man Show was a very interesting case because uh, it came out and it seemed to be one hair past actual satire. Mm. Uh, the Man Show was um, this, it seemed to me like an artificial backlash to uh, the, the current wave of feminism. Yeah. And how uh, we will, we there will was... fight back with as much chauvinism as we can. Yeah, there, in there was, show. there was in, yeah. in the, in, from like the early, late 80s to like all throughout the 90s, there was this, uh, uh, the phrase like the sensitive new age man, the nineties, the, the nineties man. Yeah, the, there was this idea that the nineties man is now uh, is not is not as macho as he used to be. He's not as violent as he used to be. He's he's a sensitive person now. Yeah, uh, and he is, and this is talking specifically about white American suburban mm-hmm. adult males. Uh, and now they listen to women, and they're a lot more sensitive. There were jokes about that because James Bond made a movie during this time. It's like, well, what is James Bond going to do in the nineteen nineties? James Bond is. You know, this Lotharius Lothari, yeah, called a sexist dinosaur in the movie, yeah. which I think is wise of them to put that phrase in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the satirist is like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to sleep with you. It's like, okay, well, I need a list of your previous partners. We're going to do it safely. <laughs> it was uh, like on the a, critic, wasn't it? I think it was on the critic. Yeah. 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 Uh, and yeah, by the early 2000s, that had mutated into this full bore uh, wave of misogyny. Uh, mm-hmm. le- led by shows like Married with Children, where Al Bundy was all of a sudden seen as a, a hero type of character. He was Which, cheered when a, he came Another on one where clearly he's supposed to be the supposed idiot to be and the bad, bad example. But, but yeah, like, he, yeah, they, they turned him around into this sort of yeah. hero, and he's like this really horrible misogynist. And the man show came along, uh, and it, it started to celebrate the worst habits of men. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly, uh, we're going to ogle women. We're going to treat them like complete garbage. We're not going to take care of ourselves. We're going to drink nothing yeah, but beer. The, yeah, the beer. Beer. Why beer? Why? Why is beer? Why it, it associated with masculinity? It's just beer. Uh, but they had really good marketing at the beginning of beer. <laughs> beer had marketing. Yeah, beer had great marketing. <laughs> Why? Made by a bunch of monks, a bunch of dudes. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> Just a bunch of monks sitting around. Yeah, this is just for men. Women don't get to drink beer. Well, why not? No, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it was a show that ended with women jumping on trampolines and yeah. trying to play like gotcha games on women on the street. Yeah, just it, uh, affected a really really horrible attitude. And, yeah, and you can only uh, be you can only accuse that of being like ironic for a couple of minutes. Yeah, it's like, hey, women, yeah. stand up. We're gonna see. You. We're gonna look at your breasts and see who has implants. Like that. That was like a segment on the show. Oh. It's like this, this is gross, guys. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Jimmy Kimmel uh, has apologized numerous times for it. He was one of the co-hosts of that. Good, show. you need to um, be able to, and, to to grow out of that shit. But yeah, it, you know, it, it came yeah. at a time when we couldn't tell like how much this was supposed to be satirical. Are we yeah. mocking the men, or are we just 
being misogynist. And if you simply were a sexist, you could mm. watch that show completely unironically. Yeah. I get a lot out of it. Yeah. And that's and, and uh, I had an argument with a friend of mine saying that uh, it, it's okay to have that. It's okay to have sexism on TV. And I was saying, well, not really. This is actually kind of gross. This is kind of disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Like well, how, it's a matter how of taste, it, isn't yeah. it? It's a matter of, because people talk about like, oh, critics should leave this stuff out. Well, critics are talking about their taste, aren't they? Mm. And if they find this thing distasteful, that's part of it. Yeah. Um, and again, sometimes we miss stuff. I apparently fucked up on the protege, but you know what? Uh, we're, we're trying, we're all trying to be mm. decent human beings and have that uh, reflect and be reflected by our actions and what we do in our lives. Mm. And we're going to fuck up here and there because life is long and complicated, but we're tr- constantly trying to be better. So seriously, yeah. thank you to everyone who takes us to task. All right. We want to be better. We want to be the best that we can be. We want to be as thoughtful and inclusive and aware of the issues that the movies that we review and the TV shows that we review raise. Um, and uh, yeah, if we're wrong, tell us. Mm. Please, we're Please not going to, we, we, we don't want to stagnate. We don't want to be these bunch of people who are espousing these old ideas and never grow because mm. growing is in, it, based on it's my limited time on this planet, really what it's all about. It's about growing. Yeah. It, yeah. it is. And I never want to stop. Um, even though it's somewhat embarrassing to find out you were, you fucked up, but whatever. <laughs> that, that, that's the process. It's, it sucks, it? but what are you going to do? Yeah. Anyway, let's, I think we have time for um, one more letter. Yeah, here's, here's a letter from Andrew. It says, Hey, Bibbs and Whitney, I love your shows and I'm always happy to hear a new episode. Recently, you had a cancel too soon episode that mentioned Christopher Hewitt. Uh, Mr. Belvedere. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bibbs mentioned the urban legend that the kid from Mr. Belvedere grew up to be Marilyn Manson. Uh, I let it go at the time, but in the most re- recent episode of We've Got Mail, Re- We've Got Mail, he repeated that urban legend. This is not the legend I've heard. I had always heard that the kid who played Paul on The Wonder Years was the one who grew up to be Manson. <laughs> Despite the fact that neither legend is true, it's jarring to hear a false statement repeated that doesn't even match the false statement that you knew to be false that you had previously heard. What often repeated facts do you hear that bother you for no logical reason? Uh, oh, that's, Andrew. That's an interesting point. And yeah, these, these urban legends mutate. Yeah. Over time. And so apparently by the time it hit my school oh. in Pasadena, California, it had mutated into Mr. Belvedere the, the, instead of the Wonder Years. Not, Maybe not, because they not, both the, not the younger here. kid. The, uh, the, yeah. It was the older brother. The older Mr. brother. Or well, whatever. Yeah, was it, was, it was actually uh, yeah. Marilyn Manson. Uh, no, those things aren't true. <laughs> Marilyn yeah. Manson is, is a different person. Yeah. Uh, I was corrected recently. Um, something that I've been doing all my career is, is misusing the word enervating. Oh. Uh, enervating, which I use, uh, as to mean energizing when in fact it means the opposite of that. Enervate Enerv- means to drain out and to make less energetic. It doesn't sound so, like it. No, enervating yeah. sounds like it is full of energy, yeah, but, uh, no, um, same with the word gruntled. That means satisfied. Well, yeah. It's, we, we heard the word disgruntled a lot. Disgruntled, that means dissatisfied, yeah, not, ergo, not happy. You, ergo, you take the prefix out of that, yeah. it means the opposite, yeah. right? Uh, and it is, it is a, it's kind of an archaic word. People don't yeah. use the word gruntled, but uh, yeah. it, it's a word. Yeah. How are you feeling today? Quite gruntled. I'm Thank fe- you. feeling Jake. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of things mm. that, I, that I keep hearing expressed like, wrong yeah, and like uh, I'm, it's it's tricky because there's a lot of urban legends out there largely about the film industry mm. um some of them are more fun than others some of them are more fun when they're false yeah uh, <laughs> one of the, my favorite one of my favorite stories i to, i was uh, told in film school and i'm 99.9 percent sure this was bullshit but it's a great story uh-huh. uh it starts off true enough where uh, albert hitchcock had made uh some hit films in britain and hollywood was calling come over to hollywood Mm. make your big movies we'll treat you right and for a while they did um and he wanted to go but he was still under contract and he had to make a couple more movies uh in england before he could move over to the estates and make stuff like rebecca um the story that i heard was that he was in the office of the studio head and there was like i'm sorry you, you can't go you have to make two more movies and alfred hitchcock picked the top two screenplays on the pile on the guy's desk mm. and said i'll make these and those two films were Jamaica Inn and I think The Lady Vanishes, which are the last right. two British films he did. But the story that I had heard that is well, almost the, certainly bullshit. The third script down. <laughs> the third script down, he came this close to picking it, was The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> no, <laughs> Almost no, certainly no. crap. But wouldn't it have been interesting, huh? Wouldn't that have been fun? Hmm. Uh, so that's one well, that's almost certainly crap, but hmm. yeah, I keep hearing it. Here, here's one that uh, I'm, I'm proud I know the truth about. Oh. Um 
several years back, Kentucky Fried Chicken changed their name to KFC. Oh, yeah, that's what and, I heard, yeah. And there were some rumors as to why. Why would you go from K- Kentucky Fried Chicken just to KFC? Because they legally changed their name. It was just KFC now. Mm. And uh, the, the first rumor was, well, they didn't want to have the word fried in there anymore. People are more health conscious. They don't want to just go into a place. It's like when they changed the name from... Uh, Sugar Pops to Corn Pops. Mm. That used to be called Sugar Pops. They didn't want to put sugar right in the name anymore, kind of giving away the game there. So they took out Fried. Turns out that's not true. The uh, more insidious rumor was, that's not chicken. (laughs) That that they were using some weird genetic material. It's like at Subway, like their tuna is not exactly tuna. Uh, Mm. Like they weren't using enough chicken anymore to legally call it chicken, so they had to change the name. It's not a chicken restaurant. It's like this vague genetic meat substance that they've been harvesting out of clown bodies in the kitchen. I don't know exactly (laughs) what they're doing. Uh, Sadly, that is not true. Although that's the more colorful story. The real truth is with the K um, in order, because Kentucky was uh, so overwhelmingly impoverished in order to make some extra revenue, the state decided to copyright its name the state of Kentucky is now a copyright. It's a, it's a state. Mm-hmm. It's a public place. Yep. But now it is co- Kentucky trademark. A lot and, of places are doing that now, like yeah. cities and like whatever. Yeah. Like there, there are certain rules about what you can and just can't call a thing. Yeah, like you no, couldn't no. call yourself like, yes, it's here's the new BMW Los Angeles. Hmm. The city of Los Angeles might have something to say about that well, car. I, you know, I, like I, I think, think you could do that, but I, I know there's like, and I have no experience with like the actual like, Civic details as to like naming bodies and you know what goes into like naming streets and monuments and what have you. Um, that's why there's like Chestnut Street, but no Peanut Street. Mm. Uh, there, there, I'm not sure if there's like really oblique rules or there's just some sort of etiquette when it comes to naming public places. But mm. uh, Kentucky decided to copyright their name, Kentucky Fried Chicken, rather than pay the state. I don't think Kentucky Fried Chicken originated in Kentucky. I have to look that you, up. You, you know, clearly know more um, about this than I do already. I'm, I'm really fascinated by like the, the history of like really mundane shit. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, Kentucky Fried, uh, they, they decided to shorten their name to KFC. So now they didn't have to pay Kentucky for like every drinking cup they printed. Yeah. Well, that mm. makes sense. So yeah, KFC, it's not because pe- there was a stigma attached to the word fried. Mm-hmm. It's not because it wasn't chicken. It's because <laughs> the state of Kentucky put a copyright on its name and they had to, uh, they had to change the name. Nice. Um, they were founded in North Corbin, Kentucky. I just looked okay, it up so in, in 1930. They, they have a right to the name. Yeah. Although anyway. that's, that was the first one that opened in 1930. Uh, it wasn't until 1952 that they opened a second store and that was in Salt Lake City. <laughs> so yeah, they fr- franchised pretty, uh, pretty, late, pretty widely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like McDonald's, like the McDonald brothers ducked out of that franchise way early before it was even a franchise. Well, there's a whole movie about that. Yeah, but, well, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that is it for, uh, for we've got mail this week. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you everybody who wrote in. Mm-hmm. Thank you everybody who educated us this week. We did a lot of learning this week, actually. Um, I, so I like the episodes where we learn. Same. Uh, so thank you. This has been really great for us. Uh, if you, if you want to write in on future episodes, once again, our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. That's letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, just write into the Critically Acclaimed Network, uh, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Uh, if you don't want to write in, but you do want to interact with us, you can always find us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash network, where we have online hangouts once a month. Uh, we also have a lot of exclusive shows about uh, Batman, Star Trek, the Academy Awards. We just dropped the latest episode of uh, Only the Best. We're reviewing every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We just got through 1942. Coming up in September, 1943, at least part one. Uh, and uh, yeah, a bunch of stuff uh, going on besides. We're having a Labor Day sale over at Salt Cat Soap. Head on over to Etsy or look us up on social media at Salt Cat Soap. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're having a Labor Day sale throughout, I think, the whole week. Excellent. Um, so get, get, get some soap. Everyone needs soap. 
And we make fancy handcrafted soaps. And uh, Whitney, tell them about your other podcast. Uh, over on The Screen's Margins, which is a podcast run by uh, the venerable B. Peterson, uh, we talk about once a week everything we saw on Ovid. Ovid is the, I mentioned it earlier, um, it's a streaming service that offers a lot of deep cut art house stuff, uh, really uh, oblique, difficult to find museum pieces that you wouldn't find anywhere else. Uh, if if the Criterion Collection is too commercial for you, man, you go on into Ovid. And so B and I watch things on Ovid and we talk about what we've seen. Uh, on our last episode, we talked about Yang Ming Ming, a Chinese filmmaker. And uh, we've talked about many, many fascinating films besides. There's a lot of really interesting things. So head on over there. You can listen to our conversations. Awesome. So uh, thank you, everybody, once again for listening. Thank you, everybody, for writing. And until then, sincerely yours, us, and stuff. That kind of got away from me. Whatever. Bye. Sincerely yours. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.